0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Do you know how every Christian can minister directly to the spiritual well being of another believer? without seeing or speaking to them? How can it be done without sophisticated technology like emails, faxes, PDAs that can laser shoot information, blackberries? How can we do that? Well, I think I'm speaking to a very intelligent group right here because you're going to come to the conclusion, I know how you can minister to someone else without seeing them or hearing them. You know what that is? It's taking whatever need they might have and you going to their heavenly Father, which would be the Lord, and you praying for them so God would unleash His truth and wisdom to them and that they would be able to go on and grow on for the Lord. And so that's how we can minister to them, and that's important. In fact, if you look in Scripture, you're going to find that the leaders in the Bible were taught, first of all, that they were to minister to others by ministering ministering to them the Word of God, And through prayer was quite a popular thing. And God instructed us over and over again to pray for others. So as you go down memory lane, you might be thinking of some people right now that are separated from you. How many of you have a loved one, a family member that maybe is on the mainland right now going to school or they're separated from you? You might not be able to connect to them all the time. You might not know how to use email and the time differences, but you can pray 24-7. How many of you have family members or friends who are overseas serving in the military? You can have a tremendous ministry in their life without ever talking to them. You can talk to God. How many of you have people that are friends that you know of that are maybe a part of your life, not family members, and they're not with you like they were in the past. Maybe some longtime friends that have now separated. They retired. or you separated to go to another part of the, the, the land? You know, you can pray for them as well. Now The big question is, is if I am to pray for them, it has to come from a motivation that I want God's best in their life. I want them to connect to the Lord. And then we have to learn what is somewhat of a possible biblical formula to pray more effectively for them. And we can find it in this passage. It's a very rich passage that will teach us this. And as I look at the Apostle Paul... He did exactly what the very beginning New Testament church leaders did. He ministered the word often by writing to them and somewhat by teaching them publicly and then one-on-one. And then secondly, he would pray for them. But here's what I thought was interesting in this book, this letter to the Colossian people. Before he ever disseminated spiritual truth to these people, he then bathed them first in prayer. So here's a question. How many of you have people in your life that you know that have a particular need, and yet because you have the, uh, the knowledge and the wisdom that you want to help them, that we're very quick to speak truth to them. But we haven't fertilized the ground with a lot of prayer ahead of time, and Paul did that. Here's another interesting bit of trivia. Do you know that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to them, telling them that he prayed for them first before he gave them truth, and yet it was to people that he never met before? Can you imagine what it was like for you to be living 2,000 years ago in the little city of uh, Colossae, and there you receive information that there's a man in prison who loves you enough that he wants to give you truth, but before he does, he bathes you in prayer. That's exactly what Paul did here, and I'll tell you, he was a praying man, but he wasn't much different than a lot of other people in the Bible. There was a man by the name of Job, and he prayed for his friends. So you young people, you have friends, and I know you like to uh, instant message them, and you like to call them, maybe even email them. But I want you to know that without you connecting to them directly, you could pray for your friends. And then some of you might find out that Jesus, he had his disciples, and he prayed for not only the disciples who were with him, but he prayed for future disciples of the Lord. Here's what's so cool. That means 2,000 years ago, God prayed with you in mind through Christ in John chapter 17. So those of you that have a ministry right now, you have people you're ministering to. That means your model is going to be Christ. He prayed for them, and you now can pray for them. And then, of course, we saw about the life of the Apostle Paul. This is great truth for us to really embrace. There's another way we might look at it. It's this way. Remember that Paul wasn't in Colossae, and probably Paul knew he may not ever go to Colossae. But he might have known that there could be a chance that if the Lord leads on one of his trips, should he be released from prison, he would go to Colossae. Now, I'm making my point this way. Some of you are going to face a new group of people that you have never met before in your life. There are some of you young people that are going to be going into a new class or a new um, school. And even now, those of you that are the little bit spiritually minded young people, you can begin praying for the kids you've never met before, that God would do a great work in their life. Some of you are going to take on a new job. You know you are in transition from your present place of employment to a new place. Have you already bathed your fellow colleagues, your supervisors, and your subordinates in prayer, preparing them to be able to become closer to the Lord and maybe a future ministry that you could have in their life? And, of course, this list that I'm giving to you now is almost endless of people. Those of you that will move into a new home or a condominium or something, you're going to have a whole new smattering of people. Even now, you could be praying for them. And I know our life is busy, but sometimes we're doing a lot of good things that's crowded out the great things about praying for those people. Now, some of you might say, well, it was easy for Paul. He was in prison. He didn't have anything else better to do than to pray for them. As part of that is true, he had probably a little bit more free time than you and I have. On the other side of it is this. He also had a lot more reason to be down and discouraged and feel so badly that he says, I don't care about other people. My whole world is nothing but bad. And he didn't allow his own emotions to shut him down for the greater needs of others. So while you might not have the time, you still have the opportunity to pray for other people. And so this passage spoke to me richly. So what kind of a prayer would be a worthy prayer? Now, if you recall, Paul is about now, as we get into this, to write a prayer that he prayed for those people. He wrote it down. Now again, I'm sure he prayed. He notified to them that he was praying so that they would know that they were being prayed for. But he recorded that prayer. Perhaps little did he know that as he was writing this epistle, this letter of a prayer to these people that God was saying, I've laid this prayer. Watch this now. I laid this prayer on Paul's heart. He prayed this prayer. He recorded this prayer so that people in Honolulu at international would read this prayer, and they would be asking the question, how can I, too, pray more effectively for others, maybe whom I've never met? And God says, I have the prayer for you. It's right here, and I wrote it 2,000 years ago through the, the, the hand of a man by the name of Paul. So if all of you are to a point in your spiritual walk where you're saying, I do want to have influence in someone else's life, but I'm too scared to do it publicly, and I don't know if I'm ready yet to to write them spiritual truths, but I think I could pray. How could I pray? This message on prayer, A Prayer Worth Praying, is so rich, it has impacted me so much to pray for the missionaries, the people I'm going to be seeing in Singapore and Indonesia. That I wanted to divide it into two separate halves because of, of the amount of material. It's almost like too rich of a dessert to eat in all one sitting. And I pray that maybe we can get something out of it. So let's look at it now, if you will. A prayer worth praying. It's a prayer to know God's will. That's probably the biggest part of this prayer, that you are praying that the people that are in front of you, that they would really know God's will. Would you read that verse out loud with me, everyone together? Would you read verse 9 out, A Prayer to Know God's Will, verse 9? Read it with me as loud as you can. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let me tell you a little bit more about this story behind this prayer and the people that he's praying for. bit more maybe as a pastor and how I connect to it. We who are pastors sometimes are more aware of the needs of other people. Sometimes by talking to them, others we can just see that they're not really where they ought to be with God. And then in our heart, we want to pray for them. So often we who are pastors, and I'm not setting us up better, but I'm setting you up to see how this can happen. We begin praying for the real deep needs of these people who aren't walking with God. So we pray for them. Then we have others that we pray for because they have physical needs, like they have fitness needs. They're ill and they're sick and they're always caring about them, the afflictions of a broken body and they're hurting. And we pray for them. We pray for those that are financially afflicted. They made wrong choices and now they're having to live with the consequences of indebtedness and all that that brings. And we pray for them as we should. We should pray for those that are suffering spiritually and some even physically because of choices and things they maybe couldn't have uh, uh, chosen. A thing happened to them. We should pray for them. But watch this. Do you know what I find myself praying least for? And this passage just screamed at me is that I'll pray for those that are hurting and broken and damaged. But I don't pray enough for those who are really walking with the Lord, who are really wanting to go on for God. They're not so much those that have a problem with finances or fitness or having problems with their spiritual walk. These are just good people. I look at our pastors here. I look at our deacons here. I look at leaders that are salt and peppered in my past. And as I hear from them, they're they're doing a good job. They're growing. And I don't see some major conflict and crisis in their life. And so you know what I say to myself? Uh, They don't need my prayers. I'll I'll pray for others. So when I dove into this, this passage on prayer... I then began to look at what problems did the Colossian people have? And everybody has problems. I know that. I do, you do, they do. Everybody does. But there was no big glaring problem. In fact, he said, I heard good things about them. So if you heard good things, why pray for the people of Colossae? Forget them. I want to go to those that are really struggling because of disobedience. But Paul said, no, no, no. We've got to pray for those who are doing well for God, that they'll continually do well for God. So let me encourage you, not only pray for the finances of people that need resources or fixing of their fitness, but at the same time, pray for those that are really hot for God. Why is that? Because often I'm sensing that those that are hot for God are absolutely the greatest target for Satan to attack, to bring down. Because when you're hot for God, often it's because of humility in your life. And you're humble and you know it's all of God and so God elevates you. And then all that happens now is Satan, and he's driven by pride, tries to bring pride into that person to drag him down. And it's those people that are great speakers for God, great leaders in this community. They need our prayers as well. They need to keep on going. I need your prayers. If I fall morally, if I fall with integrity in the community with my finances, can you imagine what it would be like to have the paper thrown in your yard in the morning only to unwrap it and find me in the headlines? Don't even go there. It would mar us for a long time. It would be probably very long to recover. Now, getting back to this. So that's why we really do need to pray for these people and that they would really know God's will in their life. Let's go back to the verse again. Look at verse 9. I'll just read it to you for a moment. It says that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That sounds almost so deep we want to zone out. These are big words and a big concept. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. So let's take it apart for a moment. That you may be filled. All right, that's a word we don't use very much, filled. Are you filled with something? When you hear the word filled, you think I must be empty and something had to get poured into me. And so we think of being filled that way. But that's not probably the best definition or explanation of it. The word filled means to be influenced by it. So strongly influenced that whatever it is brings you almost to a point of it controlling you. For example, have you ever seen someone that got so angry that they're ready to throw something or hit someone? You just explode like road rage. They were filled with anger. They were influenced by this anger thing going on inside of them. How many of you know people that they walk around and they're always oh, so sad? They're filled with sorrow. They're influenced by sorrow. Those are negative things. How many of you have been around people that you love to be around and they laugh, they smile when they do, their eyes disappear, they're just joyful people all the time. You know, they're just so excited. There's a pony in here somewhere. You know what I'm talking about. They're excited about this. They are filled with joy. Now, in this context, it's talking about not being filled with anger or sorrow or discouragement or even joy. Here, it's talking about being filled or influenced by the knowledge of his will. Let's talk about the knowledge of his will. All right, the word knowledge. There's a, a number of different Greek words for the word knowledge, but trying to reduce it, we're going to do it this way. There's the knowledge like, um, like me, in a sense. I know computers, okay? But I don't know computers. You know what I'm saying about that? It's hard to define it, isn't it? I know how to, how to turn it on, and I know where my Word document is, and I could put it up on the screen, and I can do this thing. But I don't know everything about a computer. I know that I'm going to take my laptop to Singapore, and I'm going to eventually take it to Indonesia. And when I was on the phone, they told me that they have a different power system over there, and they said, you better check your computer so it doesn't explode on you when you plug this thing in. Now, I know computers, but I don't know that. So here's what I know, is that I'm not filled with the knowledge of computers. So what do I do? I contact someone who is filled with the knowledge of computers. Now, I said that to let you know that that's what it's talking about, that I want to know God so much. I don't want to know someone who knows about God. I don't want to know somebody... I don't want to know just a a surface little level of the knowledge of God. I want to grow in my knowledge of God. Now, let's back it up for a moment. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to raise your hand on this one. How many of you know now more about computers today than you did two years ago? Would you raise your hand? Okay. You've grown. You've grown in your knowledge of computers. How many of you have had to ask someone to help you with a computer issue in the last two months? Would you raise your hand? Whoa, look at those hands. How many of you know that there's more to know about computers? How many of you know you'll never know all there is to know about computers? (laughs) That's how we are. Let me tell you something. As great as I, I, I esteem you, computer, I don't want to call you geeks, because I, I, I'm saying we need you, okay? It's still not as important as being filled with the knowledge of God. And in a sense, I believe the, the Greek is more not be filled like, wood, ah, I'm filled. It's like, wood, I'm at the end of the internet. You'll never get to the end of the internet. You'll never get to the end of the knowledge of God. And here it is. Watch this, watch this. It's not that I am filled with the knowledge of God. I am filled with the knowledge of God's will for me. So here's where that reduces. It reduces not to this existential bit of battery of information about doctrine that's so huge. That is important. Now, don't go home thinking I don't think that's important. I have a book I put out on it called The Foundations of Our Faith. That's that important. But my point is this. While you may know all of that, but if you do not know how that translates into your world with your life, with your kids, and your job, and your ministry then you don't have the knowledge of his will. Now, one other thought here. When you hear the knowledge of his will, there are some wills that he'll will and make it happen. And then there are some wills that he desires to happen. This fits into the camp of he really, really desires this for you. So here's how we would interpret that. I'm praying for someone that they would really know and keep on getting to know God's will and desire for that person's life. Now, if you listen to God, he will clearly make his will, quote, his desires, his passion, his purpose for you known. Now, the question is, will he do it when you hear him in the middle of the night? Do you have to go to a monastery? Do you have to uh, be separated from every human voice? It's good to get away. In fact, I think we need to get away more often. But while we're getting away, that knowledge is not going to be revealed apart from His Word. And that's why it's important to get into His Word and how rich that really is. Now, pause for a moment. We got the people at Colossae over here. They were doing pretty good. Paul is now praying for them that they would have the full knowledge of his desires in the area of wisdom and understanding. Why would he pray for them when they weren't crashing and burning financially? Or they weren't crashing and burning in some depression? Here's why. Listen, listen. These people were birthing children and growing up and developing a life in a place that was a hotbed of false teaching about the reality of a true God, and thus the, 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 the backlash of that were people who were living like hell, and those people out there were influencing or had the potential to influence the people, the Christians at Colossae. So Paul says, I know that already. I've been around Grandma's barn. They're going to struggle with that false teaching. They're going to struggle with false living. So I've got to strengthen them so they'll be able to see false teaching and avoid it, see false living and walk away from it so they could be internally strong to live right for God. Now, why am I telling you that? First of all, so you have Bible knowledge, but more than that. We do not live in a community much different than the city at Colossae. And those of you who are guests... It doesn't take a rocket scientist. It just takes an honest person to know that your community is filled with people who do not believe accurately what God is and who he is and what it says in scripture. And their lives are completely out of balance. And they're wrecking more people because of that. You live in that same community. So what should be our prayer? That you would have the full growing knowledge of his desire for you in the area of wisdom and understanding, so you'll know false doctrine and avoid it. You'll know false living and reject it, so you can become more like Him. If we keep that in mind, it'll help us. So let's look at our question now. How can I get a greater knowledge of God's will? All right. Are you all with me? Say uh uh-huh. All right. How do I get a greater knowledge of God's will? Now, before I give you the five that's on the sheet already printed, so you don't have to go too far for it, let me give you some... uh, 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 like a meeting before the meeting, an outline before the outline. How can I get a greater knowledge of God's will? First of all, you have to realize that His will is so important for you that you've got to know it. And so there's something going on in your head that's saying, I want to know His will. And I'm telling you right now, that's not going to happen until you grow to that level. And I pray that you are and that His will is the best will and the only will for us. So number one, now let's go to the outline. How will I get a greater knowledge of God's will? Number one, by wanting to know His will in order to do it. Circle the word wanting. Now that's something that every preacher and hopefully every godly parent wants out of their children and every pastor wants out of the people and what you watch want out of your pastor, that we would want to know his will. But notice the last part of the phrase and underline this. In order to do it, it's not enough for you to have a head knowledge or dead orthodoxy. You need to have the knowledge, but your purpose of knowing that is so that you can translate that into a lifestyle that brings glory to him. There's the verse. It says, if anyone wants to do his will, and actually in the Greek it says, if anyone desires to do his will, God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. Number two, by learning it from pastors, teachers, and those equipped to explain his will. By learning it. Circle the word learning it. In order to learn it, you have to listen to it. And so let me go back and explain that. Now that passage you could look up for yourself. We taught the book of Ephesians. It's all kind of opened up there, but... Many of you may be seeking to know what is God's mind on a decision you have to make in the future. And God puts us in that situation where we have a query about it. And he does that so that we then would realize we need to get better answers and we're going to get them from God. But God in his ultimate wisdom of understanding for you is he says, I will give you that information. And one of the ways I do that is through pastor-teachers. ...who have studied the word a little bit further than you have... ...to grant you understanding of that passage and to teach you. Now some of you might think, well that puts these people up on high hog platforms... They are no better than a computer guy who knows more about computers than you do and you go to them for advice. No different than a medical doctor when you have a dilemma and you seek out opinion and a second opinion. It's no different than when you've got a problem with your car and you say, I don't know what to do, so you go to the right person to give you advice what to do. The only difference, hopefully, will be hopefully, will be that with the pastor, he is clean and close with God so that when he gives you this information, it is not mucked up with a lot of personal opinions and, and, and prejudices, that it is filled with the accurate knowledge of God with number one in mind, and that is to bring glory to God by giving you the right truth in a way that you can receive it, so he gives it to you in meekness and in truth. But it will never work if God stations in your life, pastor, teachers, and you don't go to them when you make some of the decisions and you want to know what is God's will for my life. And what I'm finding out now, as I'm now pastoring for 30 years, is less and less people are going to pastors, and probably why. One, they don't want to be told because pride is more prevalent today. Secondly, too many pastors have fallen, so now we even question pastors. And so we've got a lot of problems with people in authority today, so we don't even go to them. And the few that break through that little bit of grid will be those that want to hear what a pastor has to say, only to see if they like it or they want to agree with it, rather than to say, hmm... Maybe God is speaking. I need to seriously consider this. Now, that doesn't mean that every pastor is going to have every answer for every issue of life that you will face. But it does mean that you need to build relationships with pastors, teachers, with those who know the word that you feel like you can trust, at least to have them show you from God's word some of the principles that might help you come to understand what is God's desire in you understanding wisdom for your life. He's put them for you. Number three, By studying scripture personally, circle the word studying, studying it. So yes, God has those guys out there and gals, Bible teachers, some great women Bible teachers as well, but if all you do is sit in front of a television or a DVD or you pop on a CD in your car or you listen to radio, I'm going to tell you not every one of them are going to speak truth, truth. Most of them will speak truth and air and a few of them will speak truth, truth. So you will see that, but the responsibility still lies upon you and me. Underline the word personally. Personally. Do you know that you are responsible for the choices you make in life? So am I. And if we make the wrong choices... We have to live with the consequences, and you can't blame God. And God says, I've given you the instruction through your pastor how to know God's will. You chose not to take that. You now are making decisions on the fly. You're now having the consequences, and you're asking me, begging me, demanding out of me that I get you out of the dilemma that you brought yourself in when I already brought all the stuff to you ahead of time. So you need to study it personally. Now, let me give you a pause on that. One way to study it is in the midst of a dilemma that you're in and you begin to seek the verses and the principles to be able to get out of that dilemma or you don't have a dilemma. I don't mean like a sin or crisis. It means you have a dilemma because you've got to either buy that car or this car. You've got to go there, change careers, go to a different college, move off island, whatever the decision it is. That's a good thing to do. You want to go to your toolbox for it. But watch this. You need to be filling up your toolboxes with more tools before the next dilemma comes your way. If not, then you're going to be struggling to pull out a tool that doesn't fit that dilemma because you didn't put it in the toolbox. So that's why it takes a consistent, disciplined time of study of God's word. All right, number four, by asking for it. I know this sounds so trite. Most people don't have a problem with number four. They'll ask God for it. If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God who gives it to them liberally and without reproach.